Hello, Clockwork Game Design Podcast listeners. It is I, Keith Bergun. Uh, so for a long time, I've been thinking about uh, moving on from the Clockwork Game Design Podcast uh, show and doing something else um, in the podcast space. I have a new show. You will have already noticed the name of this uh, program has changed. This is a brand new show that is by Brett and I. And I'm not saying there will never be a Clockwork Game Design podcast episode ever again. But it is, you know, sort of soft retired, I guess, for now. I just want to let you know that. In any case, this is all going to go through the same channel. Patreon supporters and everything will be supporting this show. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up and say thank you so much for all your support and listening to my show for almost seven years the uh clockwork game design podcast has been on the air so uh thanks for listening and now please enjoy this first episode of strategy can be fun Welcome to the first episode of Strategy Could Be Fun. Uh, you are listening to this on the same stream, or the same feed, I should say, that was formerly the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I am still Keith Bergun, but uh, we've decided, and I, Brett Lowy, who has been a guest on the podcast many times, who we've worked together on many projects, we're working on some new projects now together, uh, we decided to uh, start sort of a new podcast on the same feed where we talk all about uh, games in kind of a book clubby sort of way. Um, and uh, yeah, so Brett, I'll, I'll let you uh, introduce Introduce yourself again and also talk about what you want to get out of this podcast and what our goals are. Uh, yeah. So like you said, I'm Brett Lowy and uh, I'm a game designer slash game developer. Um, and uh, yeah, like you mentioned, we'd work together on a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and yeah, about this podcast, um, what I'm hoping to get out of it is kind of like Keith and I kind of agree on this idea about um, that playfulness is a good thing in strategy games. I think when when most people think about strategy games, especially like non gamers, um, I think they're kind of like generally aware of like that there's like Twister and like party games or whatever, and then there's like Magnus Carlsen like crunching hard on like at like the chess world championships or something, um, or like there's people like competing hard in esports at like the League of Legends Worlds Championships or something like that. Um, but there's like another like to me that kind of smacks of of like work and like mm -hmm. heavy competition which is like very not casual things um and you and i both love strategy games um but i think the thing that we love about them is more along the lines of like exploration and kind of like creativity mm -hmm. rather than like work and competition and so yeah we came up with this like playfulness concept to kind of describe like what we're shooting for in designing games yeah um and i'm excited about you know looking at some concrete examples of games and like seeing like where they're encouraging playfulness and where they're not. And kind of like talking about how uh, we think they could be changed to uh, encourage more playfulness and just like develop a language and techniques about like how to do that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, completely agree. I mean, the playfulness we when we were discussing top names for this podcast, one of the a few of the ideas had 
uh, you know, the word playfulness in them as potential ideas, because we, you know, we feel strongly about that as a value um, for it's something that we look for in strategy games. And I, I, I think that, um, yeah, the, uh, for me, it's everything you said. And also, I'm just generally more interested in doing things collaboratively more uh, as I, you know, as I get more experienced, I'm just I'm, I'm more and more seeing the benefits of collaborative work. Um, so less, you know, like when I started Clockwork Game Design Podcast in 2015, um, you know, I, I back then I was like completely all about, I loved just working completely on, all by myself on things. Um, and, you know, I, I still, there's still something awesome about working on something by yourself for sure. Um, and I'll probably always do that in some capacity, but more and more I'm just, you know, I feel like multiple brains working on problems, whether it be game designs or talking about games um, is there's, a kind of uh, knowledge and like wisdom that's accessible through that, that just no person, no single person can possibly um, do or achieve or obtain or access, I guess is the best word. And um, so I'm just more and more interested in that. And I think that, you know, you and I have uh, like just enough like shared language and understanding um, where we can, you know, really talk about stuff, um, which is a rare thing. And, and I think that um, that's really cool and so i really want to embrace that i also for me another cool thing about this concept so the concept for this show is of course we talk about game design but we we talk we're gonna like pick a different game each month and play a lot of that game and then do like a big game design analysis so it's kind of like a game design book club um that was another potential name for the for the podcast but it was deemed not spicy enough uh by the committee um but yeah uh uh, so, so I think this is a good way to like, also just kind of keep us playing stuff. And, you know, um, we have on the discord, the, the game design book club, which is like a kind of, it's supposed to do that. And it like sort of does that, but this is like, oh, there's actually a person who's like counting on me to like play this game this month. You know what I mean? Like there's actual kind of like stakes. Like we have a date and we're going to every month get together and talk about this game. So I better have played it a lot uh, between yeah, now and then. Talk about something, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm very pleased to say that, uh, you know, uh, I've played a lot of today's game, which will be our first game. I don't know if there's anything more you want to say about this podcast overall before we get into the actual game no i just amen to all that stuff that sounds awesome i can super relate to uh the kind of going from a solo thing to a more collaborative thing um exactly like what you were talking about it's um it's hard to know your own blind spots and a lot mm. easier for other people to know them and yeah i just want to figure out how to make um strategy games more lovable and chill <laughs> yeah and, uh, yeah yeah, it's yeah, I guess we should I should also say that it's not that we're committing to a podcast all about making strategy games more playful. I think, you know, if this pod, well, I don't know how long it's going to go on for, but you know, it, it really we're just talking about how to this is a strategy game design podcast, and that may go in different directions as the episodes go on. And there may be things that we learn to value more and less as time goes on. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you know, broadly, we want to make fun games, cool games, games that are like, you know, socially positive to the extent that they have any kind of social impact or, you know, ideas in them. Um, and um, yeah, like just, 
uh, sort of broad, but I mean, we'll, we'll, we're starting out. And I think in this episode, we'll certainly be talking a lot about playfulness as a, as a kind of a key value that we're honing in on. Sweet. Let's do it. All right. So our first game is, uh, the very famous in the board game community, uh, game through the ages. Actually, the full title is it's got a longer title. Do you let's see. What is it? The Through the Ages. It has two uh, long titles because they renamed it, right? Yeah, I think. And the, the version we're playing is Through the Ages, a new story of civilization, because it's kind of like the second edition. Uh, that's right. That's right. And that remaster. Yes. Yeah. So it originally came out in 2006. It's by Vlada Shivatil. I don't know how to pronounce. Is that pronouncing that right? As far as I know, that's pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he's Czech, uh, and he's done a lot. He's a very accomplished designer. He's uh, done. He's famous for Space Alert, Code Names, Galaxy Trucker, um, a bunch of other games. So he's like you know a serious uh, name in the board game space. Uh, this game came out in 2006. It's been I think it's been in like the top five of Board Game Geek for like forever, basically, since it came out, more or less. Um, yeah. And it looks like it's ninth now, so okay. ninth best board game ever, determined by science. Yeah, I mean, well, that it, it doesn't mean nothing if it's still there, you know, this long yep. after its launch, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, they, they made a, a second edition, more or less, called A New Story of Civilization in 2015, I think that was. Um, there's also digital apps for the game, which are fantastic. Some of the best digital apps uh, for a uh, board game, maybe the best. I don't know if the best, but like well, they might be. They might be the best digital apps for board games I've ever played. I have to think about it, but um, they're definitely up there. Um, so yeah, do you want to? Uh, I don't know. Do you want to give us the give us the overview of Through the Ages, or how should we start? Sure, sure, uh, I can do that. Um, it's basically uh, it's a civilization game. The the theming is civilization based. So you're developing a civilization over time from the Bronze Age to the modern era, uh, a la Sid Meier's Civilization type of thing. Um, and I think. I, 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 this could be wrong, but I, I think Vlada might have even said that he was partially inspired by, like, Sid Meier's Civilization. But, well, Sid Meier is literally uh, in the game, so that wouldn't surprise me. He is. I played that card, I think, last game. Um, so, um, anyway. Uh, and you beat me with it, it, too. It, <laughs> got lucky. Um, the the It's basically a tableau builder, so you're going to, like, build... You're going to take some... There's a big card row where cards kind of... Um, they appear and then they become cheaper over time basically like as they as they stay in the card row and don't get bought they become cheaper um and you pay for them with actions but basically you're, you're going to be acquiring these cards um acquiring resources some of the cards give you resources like iron or food um each turn and so you're going to kind of uh, cobble together this this civilization out of these cards and try to uh gain culture points which are basically victory points and whoever has the most culture points at the end of the game uh, wins. Um, yeah, and, and it, so, yeah, go ahead. Oh, it has this like complex, you know, it has like a bar game kind of mechanic where you have like, okay, you have your iron resource, you have your food resource, you have your population, you have your happiness, blah, 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 like five or six different resources. And you kind of got to keep them all, 
you know, you can't really ignore any of them. But yeah. unlike many games like that, it's the systems behind all of these things are rather complicated and have, um, you know, like anytime there's a meter, it almost a lot of the meters have multiple things they mean depending on where they are in the bar. So like the classic meter problem is that as long as it's not zero, it doesn't matter what the number is. Um, and th this game has like, for example, the population track where you can take uh, these cubes that represent one population off of this track and add them to your tableau, in which case they are like workers. Um, but as you're taking them off of that board, new things are happening. Like, oh, now uh, work now uh, it costs more to uh, increase my population, or now it um, you know what we have we need one more smiley face, happy face uh, resource. Um, and so, like, it almost every integer it's it's kind of like an integer track thing. But at every integer, almost there are new things that happen, and so uh, that really kind of complicates that bar game kind of uh game you know what i mean totally um and, and yeah building off that like one thing uh that i kind of noticed about through the ages is like it, it almost falls into a whole bunch of holes for me like design holes where i wouldn't like the game at all mm -hmm. but it kind of like dodges the lasers and manages to be like good enough where i yeah still, i like it um and one of the holes that it almost falls into is like pure no interaction euro game uh-huh um, yeah where it's like just about like building your own little machine in the corner and like why why do i even have an opponent type of thing mm -hmm. but it doesn't quite follow into that hole because there's a whole um there's a system in the game uh that revolves mostly around military um but uh basically there's there's an event deck and each turn you get one political action to add a card to the event deck um and one kind of cool thing about it is that when you put a card into the event deck, it's not that's not the card that gets activated right away. It's the the oldest card that's in the event deck that gets activated. So you're gonna add a new card to the event deck and then pop the the oldest one off. So, so like wait a second, like first, it's the first it's in, the first out. It's the oldest one. Not I thought that that was like shuffled. That they like shuffled them together or something. So it was like randomized. <laughs> well, one thing is that we're playing on board game arena, so it's easy to miss a couple of the nuances of the rules. But I'm pretty sure that it's like a first in first out queue um okay so yeah um but yeah so like and then a lot of these events um or maybe all of them definitely most of them are interactive in some way so it'll either be like comparing your you on some axis to the other players so it'll be like who has more food like that person gets some culture or, or whatever or some of them compare your military strengths and then you can gain or lose bonuses by you know thematically it's like an invasion or or something like that um yeah and so yeah that, that the whole military event deck system i think does just enough to keep it uh interactive enough uh for me at least yeah i agree with that i mean yeah the, the politic i think they call that the politics system because you got like one political action with which you right. can also play military actions which are a different thing they're not it's <laughs> there's so a couple uh notes at the beginning of this discussion so Brett and I have played, I think, five matches against each other. We're like in the middle of our fifth one right now or somewhere around there. Right. Um, and I've also played, I don't know, like a dozen matches on the digital app uh, against bots. And yet we bought we, I think there are still some rules that we're both foggy on. Um, right. Like yeah, there's still. Played, I've probably played the game about 20 times or so ever. 
Um, so yeah, but yes, there are rules that I'm it, not 100% on. It is wild to play a game 20 times and still not like necessarily know 100% of the rules. Like, yeah. so so that is a definitely a comment up front is like, this is a complex game. It's not the most complex game that's ever been made for sure, right. but it's a very complex game. Um, like, you know, on orders of magnitude, like three to four times more complex than I would say like, the typical Euro game, um, uh, depending on what you mean by that, I suppose. But uh, like, you know, Seven Wonders being like maybe a comparable thing. This is like five times as complicated as Seven Wonders, at least. Um, Seems about right, yeah. You know, that, and... That's sort of another one of the holes that it almost falls in for me is like, it's quite messy with the rules. And yeah. by that, I just mean like, there, there's, a, there's quite a few rules in the game where... Uh, they exist and they they solve a clear design problem um, that needs to be solved and it, and it does work but it uh, taken as a whole it, it smacks to me that the game could have been there's there's certain mechanics that could have been consolidated in the game into like into fewer mechanics that achieve the same end but for whatever reason um, it seems like Vlada doesn't feel like the cost of adding a mechanic to the game is very high for him and so yeah, it does have a certain messiness to it. Uh, yeah, like there's been some discourse over the last year or so about um, uh, actually Tanya X Short wrote an article last year about like elegance being overrated or or, you know, uh, that that game designers are too obsessed with like, elegance. And but then I play a game like Through the Ages and I'm like, well, this could probably use a little more elegance, you know, like um, uh, it definitely is very rough. It's a very like like messy game and you know it's sure if you play it enough times that stops being an issue you start just like you know learning all of that weird intricacies um but it, it really makes the onboarding pretty rough like i you know i obviously i learned about this game years ago i played the i have had the app on my device for like i don't know years and years like four or five years and i've played i had played it years ago and i just i don't know i just kind of like bounced off it it just sort of felt like this try i remember comparing it to my experience with Kalos, um, where another game that uh, Euro game, you know, designer board game people absolutely love, but that for me, just like I bounced right off of it because it's it seemed like like complicated and I'm just kind of like, why? Like, I'm not, what's the motivation? Like, what's the, where's the fun here? <laughs> and I, I, that's how I sort of felt in the beginning when I first started playing Through the Ages was it's just this tedious, like annoying, like number calculation uh, machine. I wonder how did you perceive Through the Ages on your first couple of games? Yeah, the first thing that really jumped out at me is like, lately I've felt this uh, allergic reaction to like, uh, the classic resource uh, snowball thing that's in a lot of games. Mm -hmm. um, basically, like like in StarCraft, like where you build an SCV with minerals, and then you use those mineral that SCV to mine more minerals, and then you can build more SCVs or whatever. And it's like wow, like look, exponential growth. <laughs> like yeah. Cool. Um, and so that's very prevalent in through the ages. Um, there's like. I think there's four main resource types, right? There's the food, the ore, the culture, and the science. Mm -hmm. And at least for the food and the ore and the science, like they're all, it's like there's three different types of exponential mineral games that you're playing at the same time. And I'm just kind of like bored of that loop, I think. Um, 
partly because I've done it in a lot of games, like it's a very common thing, mm-hmm. but partly because it encourages um, calculation and it's also like very um, integer-y <laughs> mm-hmm. in a way that like it's kind of hard to describe why that's a big problem but uh you've spoken about this before maybe you can speak to that a little bit uh, yeah like uh the idea of you know quantify uh, quantifying that which should remain qualitative um yeah, yeah like <laughs> Yeah, so I, I actually think that through the ages, I agree with that about the calculation sort of, and especially when you first get started, um, you know, you're just doing like some math and and trying to figure out exactly how many uh, actions you can use on this to do this. And I will say that uh, as I play, like I do a lot of undoing my turn, redoing yeah. it, you know, over and over and over again until I just like get it exactly right. Um, yeah, if the Board Game Arena app didn't have undo, I, I think think this would basically be unplayable for me <laughs> yes absolutely yeah no absolutely and and that's you know i think that's that is kind of significant um and that that definitely plays into our playfulness conversation because like or i don't know like is it playful or is it not playful to kind of like just like optimize your turn like that especially because we're playing now we should mention we're playing in like the play by email async format where you know i can take an hour to do my turn if i really want to it's not really it's not like i'm being a jerk or anything by doing that um right and whereas if we were playing in person against each other there would be more of a you know, kind of just just do your turn and don't like be undoing it over and over and over again to get it exactly right. Um, and I think, yeah. right, that that would be a dynamic well, there. Totally. But the thing is, like, it, it feels like the game because of all this integer spreadsheet type of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like the game wants me to count. Um, yeah. Uh, or, or do some work or do some puzzle optimization like you were talking about, right? And so you're right, like with async, there's no like social pressure to uh, not do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. But there's still a thing like where uh, there would be a benefit in the game for me doing that work. And so now I'm choosing between like my own enjoyment of my free time or whatever, Mm -hmm. or like doing well in the game. And I don't think that's like, that's like a fundamental non-playfulness that that fundamentally cuts against playfulness i think right you should you should be able to kind of like that is a goal for me as a designer is like i kind of want people to just just play and you know undoing is uh i don't know there's something fundamentally not ideal about that when players are undoing a lot um it's sort of you know what i mean like that that's more of like a puzzle kind of like that works in like a puzzle and frankly i think that each turn in this game at least for where i am strategically in, in terms of my skill level and stuff it is kind of like each turn is a puzzle. Like it's like, okay, here's a bunch of stuff. Now just optimize with what's here. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I guess you could say that about a lot of turn-based games, but um, part of it is that uh, there's only a couple of moments where there is some new randomness coming into the game. Like they're, they're, uh, they have the input randomness of the tech, uh, you know, the tech feed. I forget what that's called, the tech row or something like that. Um, yeah. And then you yeah. draw turns, you draw cards at the beginning of your turn or the end of your turn, whatever. But like during your turn, 
there's really no randomness, I don't think, um, unless you do like an attack, you know, like an aggression or something like that, or there's a bid for a colony or something like that. There's there's yeah, no that, that hidden info. In politics phase. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like during that action phase, yeah, I don't think there is any any new information that gets revealed at all. Yeah, so that's that's definitely a related thing here is that the game is pretty um it's not perfect information, but you know, within the space that you interact with on your turn, it's pretty it's like largely deterministic and pretty um so you have this big space and that's the other thing too is that you have like four, five, six, seven actions plus military actions. So you your turn is this big thing. Um you know, as opposed to like I don't know, mad or Dragon Bridge, where you play like one action, you know, you play a bunch of actions on your turn. And that's a big part of it. So it's that plus all most of that being deterministic, which creates that like puzzle like, you know, combo, like just optimization kind of thing in in the space of your turn. And that's I would say that's that's probably not like a playful pattern uh, design pattern. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um... Yeah, part of that is to do with like um, a lot of the undoing happens because like you're doing this like uh, small scale optimization stuff like where you're just short a resource or an action to do like the thing that you want to do or like because there's like two different types of actions like the civil actions and the military actions like you might be short an action of a particular type or something like that mm -hmm. or there's even some cards uh, in the card row that are like uh, increase your population and spend one less food to do it or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so that type of mechanic ends up having like an order of operations type of thing right? Um, where you might increase your population forgetting you have that card and then you undo to play the card. Yep. Um, so that, that's like another part of the undo. Like it's just the stuff where like either A, like you just can't do the thing you wanted to do or there's just like a strictly better way to do what you want to do. And so, yeah, like for both those reasons, it's like it's not like particularly interesting or strategic type of decision. It's just like, yeah, optimization. Um, yeah. Uh, for, for me, at my skill level, I, I do sort of feel like, I, you know, I'm sure I could do a better job optimizing. But like, you know, I think for probably a lot of players, this game is here's a little optimization puzzle, player one. OK, here's a little optimization puzzle, player two. And the players just sort of keep doing those. And then at the end, someone came out on top. You know what I mean? Like yeah. um, and there and, and so that's that's another kind of interesting thing about this game is that like. So I have two big thoughts. One is like thinking about like what is how how are the longer arc strategies manifesting in this game because it's so like micromanagey and like do all these actions in this and optimize you know it, it's sort of hard to see the long term the longer arcs in a in a clear way that you can really kind of work around um, and uh, also uh, it, it also feels. In the games I played, it feels very swingy, actually. Like you were talking about the exponential growth, but I actually yeah. think that this game is 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 has on almost all of those exponential growth vectors. There are these like curbing off uh, mechanism mechanisms that like 
make it that, you know, you're not going to you can't grow. You really can't grow anything exponentially because um, there's this other cost that appears now, which is like dragging that back down uh, every. So yeah. like anytime a bar gets certain height, it's like it becomes that much harder to get it any higher. And um, so that coupled with the fact that like you don't know what's I mean, well, maybe higher level players have a sense for that. Maybe that's what it's all about is knowing the deck really, really well and playing around certain cards that may or may not come out on certain turns. But um, it, it feels to me like because of the curving off of the resources and the kind of like just optimize on your turn, optimize on your turn, optimize on your turn loop. It feels for me where I am at, at, like like the old like it's fun. I'm having a blast playing the game. I kind of want to go play it right now, you know, but it feels kind of like random. And um, like, I wish there was I almost wish there was more like um, just like a like a sh like a somebody just running away with a victory and it's and it you know just like end the game early maybe part of this issue is the fact that it has like kind of fixed length um as a game uh does any of that make sense yeah yeah well you were mentioning like what are the strategic vectors in the game kind of mm -hmm. um like i've talked i've talked a little bit about this concept of like axes of victory yeah um which is like multiple different things that you can pursue and if you kind of like reach escape velocity on any of these things then you're gonna end up winning basically like you can mm -hmm. use that to convert into a win um, and so in this game, I kind of see those as like the military, like if you get like way ahead on the military, then you can just like pound your opponent every politics phase with uh, a military attack and win that way. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, the obvious one is culture, like culture is literally victory points in the game. And so if you build like a big enough culture engine, like you're going to win, um, theoretically. Um, oh, and I guess I should say like with military, you mentioned like you can't really run super far with any of the things. Yeah, uh, like there, there are there's like limiting, like the military fundamental one I think is like the workers. Um, you need to get workers to, to make your army bigger basically, um, and so, to get workers you need food for one thing, and mm -hmm. so that's like a whole ordeal. But then you also need um, as you get more workers, you're mentioning like the whole, increased population cost, um, for each additional worker when uh, when you yeah. get to a certain point in the track. So that kind of drags the military back or like is a counterforce to you just like going strictly military. And then for the culture, like kind of weirdly, the dampening factor is like your opponent's military. Like if you go all if you try to go all in on culture, it's it's very easy for your opponent to just like get a few little military units and like hit you over the head every turn with the po with the political phase. Um, yeah, so that's the thing. Um, and then with and then I think the third axis to victory is science, more or less. Um, which allows you to like do everything else <laughs> better. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, and I, but I'm not. There's nothing coming to mind as like a dampening factor on that exactly. Um, well, uh, the, the, I mean, it's just that you can't. Uh, you are limited with what science cards come out. Even you know what I mean? Like um, that. That's one thing. And then, and it's like it's one thing to develop a scientific thing. Right. It's like to, to develop some technology. And then it's another thing to actually be able to use that at all. Right. So like sure. that's the thing about science, like you can mass science, but like, OK, well, what are you going to do with that scientific knowledge? You know what I mean? Um, there's right. a couple of things that are called like uh, special technologies or something like that, where the blue cards, which yeah. 
when you get them, you just have a benefit and that's cool. But a lot of the things that you would get with science are either military upgrades or, you know, urban building upgrades, things like that. And those need to be manned. And, you know, and then yeah. we're talking uh, all this stuff. So I think that's kind of the limiting factor on science. The thing I was I was trying to get at, though, with the with the everything being sort of curved off is so you were talking about like, oh, you could like build a really good cultural engine and win that way. But like in my experience, um, you know, it seems like no matter how good any of your engines are in like three or four turns, it could just be like a completely different world. You know what I mean? Like, cause we had that one game where I was like, I, I was like, uh, I'm, I should resign. Like, this is so over. Cause you had a, you had a really big military victory and you had a big cultural victor, uh, cultural advantage. Um, and I was just getting hammered every turn. And I was like, you know, if we weren't doing this for the book club, uh, for the podcast, I'd probably just resign right now. But, I, you know, I want to, like, play it through because uh, just for, you know, for research purposes, basically. And I'm glad I did because I think I either won that game or, like, it, it you know, it, it flipped a lot. And that's what I'm kind of trying to get at here is that this game is oh, I see. very flippy, actually. Like, what, and that and that makes me feel like there there's a little bit of a lacking of, like, long-term term uh long-term uh what's it called like arcs meaningful arcs uh, strategy you know or, or axes of victory um like power spikes and things like that and i think it's i think it comes down to one of the fundamental starting points for the design of this game was it's going to be a fixed length and when you have that that means that okay well if players are stuck sticking around you know, like, let's say you get a huge advantage, like on turn 20 out of 40. Um, well, the game's still going on, so we need to design it such that stuff can always flip. Like that's that's for me, a game design principle that I kind of have for strategy games is they need to have a flexible endpoint because otherwise you set up this thing where you can't have you can't have like lame ducks, right? So right. that means that everything has to be able to flip at any moment. Does that all make sense? That does all make sense. Um, and I think the thing that I would add to that is, um, yeah, like the one thing that I don't particularly like about this game is that the the long-term arcs that uh, you're describing, like the strategic arcs that are present in the game, and maybe they're too easily flipped, like to your point, but they're all like just very simple and integery. Like they're basically just basically tied one to one to the resources. It's like, how many military do you have? How many culture production do you have? How many science production do you have? Um, and that's kind of like what's going on long term, um, more or less. I guess like to a certain extent, like it matters like what urban buildings you have or something. But really, those are just like how you get these integer bonuses to your production um so yeah like i would say like part of the reason to me why it feels like the the there isn't a whole bunch of like strategic i don't know variety to it in a way mm -hmm. is because it all kind of like funnels back to like these integers on this spreadsheet uh, yeah military culture and science and everyone kind of has to do everything like i was saying about the science thing like okay uh, you're researching these urban buildings cool what are you going to do with them you know what i mean so like sure. and, and like, it's well now you can make ore better <laughs> right it's military. it's it's very transient i sort of wish as i'm thinking about this now i sort of wish there was more things that were like permanent you know like um uh, the wonders are kind of like that the wonders are like okay boom you have this thing now and it's 
basically permanent or I think it lasts for two ages or something like that. I found another one of these rules that like it's hard to remember. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like I, I sort of wish there was more things that were like permanent, like the fact that you can take workers off of urban buildings and off out of uh, military positions means that your whole board is like very transient and that also contributes to that feeling of like oh i'm gonna sit here and undo 20 times because i can literally just like move all my workers around to every thing and like become a completely different civilization in like one turn well yeah and the only thing that feels permanent in the game at all is like your production numbers um but like those aren't very they don't contribute to making the game have like a considerably different feel each time um Wait, what do you mean? The, what do you mean the production numbers? Well, like you can have if you get an advantage in science early in the game, mm -hmm. if you can just have that, you can use that advantage in science to get more science. Yeah. And then you can have like a lot of science for the whole game. And so like part of the story of your game as a player is being a science guy. Mm -hmm. But like it's there's that's just not that interesting or nuanced or weird it's just and in like practice science. that that doesn't even usually happen because at some point you're like okay i have a lot of science this is great but now i have to go get some happiness or i have to go get some military or i have to go get some or or whatever and so you end up having to you know kind of do everything which is that's not necessarily a critique i don't think but it does contribute to this feeling that of games being kind of samey and, you know, we're just kind of riding the faders of these different bars and hoping that our thing comes out on top. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, yeah. So uh, what other do you have any other thoughts you wanted to uh, bring up about this game? Sure. Um, yeah, I think there's a very prevalent feeling of like wasted actions. Um, mm. every, every turn, the game kind of like spews, there's three different kinds of actions. There's political actions, civil actions, and military actions. And every turn at the start of your turn, you can do a political action. But if you're, there's some nuance to this, but a lot of the political actions result in a comparison of military forces between the two players. And so when you're quite behind on military, oftentimes, or if you just don't have the political cards for it, Oftentimes, the right play during the political phase is to pass your political action and to not play a card. And I'm not sure if this is an overstatement or not, but I think for my personal taste, uh, I think pass is just like a crappy mechanic in general. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure in every game where pass is like frequently a good option for you to do, I dislike that as an option. I never yeah. want to do it. I never want to be encouraged to do it. It just sucks <laughs> yeah like you just replace that with you know draw a card discard you know what i mean yeah. draw one discard yeah. one instead or something like that like yeah instead anytime you have pass uh replace that with something else uh you know give the player so an action because if, if it is boring it doesn't feel good it's uh it's just running in place yeah and, and it, there is something about that lost action feeling that is um is pretty is pretty negative i, I would say for sure yeah, or, or a lot of times you'll pass with military actions left in the game because you, the game really spews a lot of military actions at you. And frequently you're not going to be able to use every single military action, like reconfiguring your army basically on your turn. Um, and so there is a mechanic in the game where for your leftover military actions at the end of your turn, you draw a military card for each leftover military action. But then back to like the elegance thing, 
I don't understand why that's just not one of the military actions you can take. Like, right. It's so weird to me that this is like another rule. It's like when you yeah. get to this like end of turn phase, now you draw one card for each leftover military action. Like why is there not just a military action that says draw a military card? It's like it's it's not a huge different it's this it's the same thing in terms of like the result of the mechanic, right? Sure. But it's just in terms of like conceptual chunking, uh just having this be like you just spend your military actions on whatever you want is so much easier to conceptualized than like oh i have like these like leftover actions and like they get converted into something else and, and whatever yeah and it feels good to use an action to draw yeah. a card like that feels like a thing you're doing whereas when it just happens it feels like this thing you have to remember this like kind of annoying phase you know what i mean in the list of like the huge list of uh phases and things that happen events that are you know just happen every turn yeah, it's sort of funny to me that this is like the second edition because like to me that kind of thing is the type of thing that would be you know a quality of life improvement that could be made but yeah uh, well i mean it's I'm, only I'm the sure second that, edition sure that, you know for sure yeah yeah maybe in the third edition <laughs> but yeah like I, i'm sure that there's like some re there there are cases in which like this mechanic like having a b draw military card is like different because like you get the information on your turn right and you can like do more planning and stuff but it just, I don't know. Basically, the theme in the game is like there are these rules that are kind of complicated, but not a lot of like emergence payoff. Um, mm -hmm. There's like some, but like not enough in my estimation. Yeah. So so let's talk about some positive things about the game. What do we what do we like about this game? Um, I, I can I really like. Oh, go yeah, ahead. you you start. I, well, I really like that you can make big plays. Um, like you said, like the turn size is pretty large. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when you start the game, you have four civil actions and two military actions, and I guess a political action. So that's like seven actions of stuff to do each mm -hmm. turn. Um, and that, like, you can really like kind of get a whole little plan going on each turn. Um, uh, yeah, and kind of, so that feels pretty expressive. Um, I also like that it has like a decent amount of interaction for like a, a Civ Builder game, like for a Euro-y type game, mm -hmm. um, like with the events deck uh, in particular, um, it's it's really nice that I actually care about like what's going on on your board. Um, mm. Because otherwise we should just make this a one player game, right? Like yeah. there's kind of two options there in my mind. Um, the references are really fun. Like we mentioned that we had like Sid Meier in our in our game or, or you know, like having all these historical figures and stuff. Um, yeah does occasionally lead to like little evocative cute evocative things for sure Not like in a crazy historical game way but in a cute cute uh euro game yeah like when i uh, was i was gandhi and you did terrorism on me like that's that's funny that is funny um upgrading upgrading your buildings feels good uh because you're like not waste like basically how it works is you can have like a a, a tier one technology building where it produces one ore um and it costs two or to build that building but you can upgrade that to be a tier two building that produces more ore but costs five ore to build that building but you can like upgrade your tier one building into a tier two building and like save the save the amount that you've already invested 
and that feels good. It feels yeah, it's like kind of like a not- set collection sort of thing. Like it reminds me of Seven Wonders, how certain uh, cards would make other cards free for the next age. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It's like that kind of thing where you want to commit sort of to certain types of urban buildings. You don't want to like have one of every one. Same with military. You know, you don't want to have like one soldier and one horseback person and one cannon. You want to kind of commit or like there's an advantage to uh, to committing to like a type and because that it's cheaper to upgrade them totally and then the final thing that i have is um like this game does have access to victory um and i i really just appreciate that in every game where it shows up uh i really like when there's like more than one thing you can pursue um you know like the classic strategy game triangle um of uh attack econ and defense um and where because then especially in a multiplayer game like this is a two-player game right um because it, it, it it's much more interactive and and back and forth and, and dance like than you know if it's just victory points say for example um it, that tends to lead much more towards um ma- optimization puzzle multiplayer solitaire type of stuff um and and it can be very like non-expressive non-creative because it's just about like how make this number go up the most rather than like which number should I make go up, which is a lot more of a qualitative type of decision and more, more contextual, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I have a little bit of a difficult uh, time exactly placing why I like this game. I really enjoy it a lot. Um, and I'm very excited to play it more. Um, I think part of it is that it's something I do like about it is that it's, it's sufficiently complex overall. Like, I think the level of complexity is like pretty good. Um, I I do wish it was more elegant and a little bit more structural and less like ephemeral, I guess. But, um, for, but I think it's, you know, a lot of times I play Euro games and I'm like, I like them, but it's too simple. Like, I know that ultimately this is like just a little bit too simple. Um, whereas this feels like a pretty good amount of complexity. I like that. Um, you know, when you do like a super turn, it feels really good when you like use all your actions, you put everything where it needs to go. And you're just like, you know, that, that feels good. I don't know that that's, so much of a strategy game value but like it feels good it's fun you know for sure um uh yeah those are some of the things i like about it um obviously just honestly like you know the the app and digital implementations of this game uh i really think you know after my experience with magic the gathering too i've i've just really come to understand at least for me that um the quality of the of the app is like is definitely a factor in terms of how much i'm going to play a game and how much i'm going to really dive into a game um i would also say that another thing that's uh exciting that's cool about this game is it does seem pretty well balanced. I mean, um, like there's a lot of components and a lot of things, and there's definitely some things that stand out to me. Like I think Hammurabi is definitely the first, the best uh, yeah, ancient um, leader because he gives you like basically a bonus action, which is you know the best thing in every game. Anytime you give someone an action, that's always the best thing. But um, but I think it's like pretty well balanced, right? Like between in terms of those axes, like um, it doesn't really feel like, oh, you should just go military or, oh, you should just go science or whatever. Like it, or, you know, like it, it and even I, I love the um, the tech 
feed how it has the uh you know oh it costs three action points here costs two action points when it gets a little closer and when it's all the way on the left it just costs one action point i think that's another really good way to sort of like muck up that valuation process where okay like yeah let's say hammurabi is the best but okay right now he costs three actions so maybe you take this other leader you know i think those those kinds of systems are great and those are some of my favorite things in the game is those there's those tracks those are i think those are the best things about the game the 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 tech track and the um the population track um and uh, those are the things that feel the most i don't know like like structural like there's like a there's a terrain there and it's not just like a feed of like integers flying at me um there's an actual terrain that i'm traversing and i have a position on it um and i i that that i really like um yeah, I guess those are mainly my things that I really like about this game. Do you know of a good name for that, like, flowing market type of thing, like where costs go down um, over time? Because that's in, like, a whole bunch of different games. Like, you know, I don't, but I, and... I bet you that uh, Jeff Engelstein's book, I bet you yeah. they have a they have a name for it in there. Um, I, yeah, I completely agree. Like, that's a great mechanic. Um, or even, like, you know, the Puerto Rico um, roll cards kind of work like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, where when things don't get chosen, they get cheaper. Um, yeah it's just a great paradigm for design in general um because it does a lot of the work of like it helps massage some of the small balance considerations mm-hmm. um and uh yeah or like you can really as a player it feels expressive to like if you say let, let's say you pay three actions to buy hammurabi right it feels particularly expressive to me because you're really evaluating um it, the game cares about your evaluation of the card in particular, um, but in a way that's not quite as uh, nuanced as like literally bidding on a card. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, the well, well, market I, thing is really good. I think the the way to talk about that that this whole concept is that these things contextualize the the token or the card or whatever it is, right? So like, yeah. so so I think about like Puzzle Strike or one of those deck builders where you have like oh these different cards and they have different costs dominion where where like oh every game the chapel costs this much so like you kind of want to go for the chapel you know like uh it lacks context a lot of those like markets um and you know i i was for a while i was working on a um a version of like a a puzzle strike uh sort of remix uh kind of game and uh actually it's up on itch Uh, it's called splash clash on lake street i think people can check that out if they want to but um it had i just added a thing where basically at the start of the game each row uh, in the shop would get some you know uh different buff when you buy this you blank when you buy this you blank on on this row so now you know hammurabi or the chapel or whatever it is has this other thing so you know contextualizing those uh things and uh makes it uh you know I i think the like uh a good anti-game design value or i don't know how to put this exactly but like you don't want your cards and things like that to be decontextualized you don't want them to be like disconnected from everything and this is one of the problems that i have with the uh the pick screens you know like and um start picking a character at the start of the game um is that these are choices that are decoupled from anything and so they they simply just you can put them in a tier list and that's just the correct answer you know like pick the best character on the tier list because there's no connections to anything else and 
And like, there's a lot of games that exist where they, you know, um, I'm playing Hearthstone Battlegrounds right now a lot. And that's another game where I feel like if they wanted to improve this, something they could do is create some kind of system where the value, the cost of each um, creature is not always necessarily the same, um, yeah. that there's some kind of feeder thing like in uh, Through the Ages or, you know, some like Puerto Rico style thing where, oh, you don't take this thing. So now, it you know, you get a free gold if you take it or, you know, like there's all kinds of cool rules like that that I really encourage uh, game designers to look at. Yeah, just some mechanic to make it so you're not making the same choice every time, right? Mm -hmm. Like one one thing you're speaking to there is like, you know, varying the cost a little bit of of the thing, and so you're not making the same cost benefit analysis that you make every time with this card, right? Mm -hmm. Or you know, like your the the synergy of your tableau or your your game state in some way could could be particularly good for this thing or particularly bad for this thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, so so just you know, it makes for more variety when you're not making the exact same choice every time yeah yeah for sure um is there anything else you want to say about through the ages before we uh move on to our last segment of the show uh let's see i'm just checking through my notes here um, da, da, da. um i guess i guess just as a, a broad point um as we were talking about like the like the way it's trying to make me count um or how there's like not a lot of well, here, yeah, okay, I do want to make a point, actually. So we're talking about through the ages, through the lens of, like, how, how playful is it, and, like, how can we make it more or less playful, right? Um, so I was thinking about, like, like in games, I think there's kind of, like, the four horsemen of work that you can do. <laughs> and so, and they're, like, anti-play, basically, right? Mm -hmm. um, work rather than play. And I think the four horsemen of work for me are, number one is, like, calculation or, like, counting. So like because this is like very integery, like when you make a mine, right, it gives you one or every turn for the rest of the game, right? So that's like because that's so stable and so integery, mm -hmm. it's very amenable to counting, you know? Like you can look three, four, five turns in the future and you'll know how much ore that mine is gonna produce, right? Mm -hmm. Um and that sort of ties into the second horse, the second horseman of work, which is like uncapped look ahead. Um so like there's not a whole bunch of tableau disruptive stuff that happens in this game um but there is a little bit because like there are certain event cards that like can destroy buildings that you mm -hmm. have in your tableau and so it's not the case that you're gonna like guaranteed know what you're gonna have integer wise in three or four turns but it is definitely leaning that way like there is the look ahead in through the ages for example mm -hmm. is pretty pretty far um you have like the the flowing market like we were talking about which helps and you have the event deck um and so i think it like it it just manages to be capped enough um where it's okay mm -hmm. but that's like one of the things where you can get like a whole bunch of work rather than play um another the third horseman of work i have listed here is memorization so like if it wants you to like count cards or like memorize the whole like, deck all three decks yeah. or whatever right or like memorize a card that your opponent picked or something like that or, or whatever. Um, any kind of memorization is kind of like work to me and not play. Mm -hmm. um, and then the fourth one is kind of like just information overload. Um, so I think about like Caverna. Have you played Caverna? Yes, so I like, have. Yeah, I have played it. Yeah, so like in Agricola, you get like a hand of cards of like minor improvements and stuff. And that kind of like limits the scope of like the actions that you can take to a certain extent. But in Caverna, each game 
there's like, I don't even know how many buildings there are, but there's like 30 or something that are available every game. Um, and you kind of just have to like look at them all and consider them all. In yeah. Of like making your decision for this turn. And that, to me, that's not really play. That's like, that's work. Because you have yeah. to kind of have to go through each in order. Um, it, yeah. it, I just have to interject that it, it bugs me so much that Caverna is such a better designed game in terms of like every, every little decision that was made throughout. It's like a very refined version of Agricola and yet it's worse because it doesn't have any hidden information. Like I, I at the end of the day, I'd rather just play Agricola probably. Right, totally. Yeah, so to summarize, I guess, like, because I think I'm going to be using this as a, like a lens for playfulness as we go forward with the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, the four horsemen of work for me are like calculation and counting, uncapped look ahead, memorization, and information overload. And those nice. are the four things like where a game is trying to make me do work and I, I don't want to do work. I refuse to do it. Awesome. Yeah, that's really good. Let's uh, we'll put that in the show notes. That sounds really um, that, like a useful um, lens. Absolutely. All right, so let's let's. I thought at the end of every episode, maybe we can um, talk a little bit about uh, some games that are on our horizon and maybe that we would want to play for the next month. Um, of course, we can decide this, you know, after the podcast and everything. But let's both throw out a couple of uh, possibilities or things that we're excited about or um, interested in. Um, I'll I'll go first and quickly say that uh, I back David Serlin's Puzzle Strike 2 last night. And I'm very excited about that, but obviously won't really be. A, well, I guess we could play that on Tabletopia if you wanted to play that. That would be a possibility. Um, and that yeah, might actually, that's that's the same suggestion I was going to make. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, that that kind of aligns there. The other suggestion I was going to throw out there was uh, Legion TD2. I don't know if you've played that at all yet or looked at that, but that's been the book club game for the last few weeks. Um, so tower defense, Is that the TD part? Uh, you know, it's it's one of those um, mods that um, it started as a tower defense thing, but like event, now it's not really tower defense. It's a it's a multiplayer competitive strategy game that just has I don't even think it has towers in it at all. It doesn't. It's just <laughs> it's just minions that crash into each other. It's more like Hearthstone Battlegrounds, um, okay. but with, you know, minions that kind of ram into each other. Um, but it's it's a very weird, interesting game. Um, I'm, I'm I really need to dive into it more. Um, so either of those would be really good picks, I think. Do you have anything else that comes to mind? Uh, no. Uh, I, w I was really thinking about Puzzle Strike. Like we both played the uh, the first version, I think. I think you've played a lot more than I have. Um, Puzzle Strike One. So it, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's it's for me. That's probably my favorite board game. Yeah, and so I think it'd be in, like I've played it probably I don't know ten times or so, and mm -hmm. so I think it'd be interesting to have the two different perspectives of like Puzzle Strike One players. Um, sure. Played it a lot, and somebody that's played it like not that much. Yeah, um, and just like see how the new version is. Also, it's just nice to like have a reference point to compare. Um, it's nice to see like where Serlin's you know design thinking is has evolved and and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's you know, um, I, I I have issues with all of his games for sure, but I mean, he is a very serious game designer. Like he really cares about rule sets, and for that reason alone, I will always support what he does, even when I'm not really interested in like like Pandante was a poker related game, and I I'm not a poker player at all. I don't like poker, but I supported that Kickstarter because I'm like he's pushing, you know, he's pushing game design in exactly the way that um is interesting to me so i definitely support his work whenever i can yeah even when i don't particularly enjoy his games like they're always compelling and interesting mm -hmm. um, and so I, I don't know that there's a lot 
much better that I can say. Yeah, yeah. Better. All right, cool. So well, we'll talk about it, but I think that that might be the game for next. Uh, maybe we should decide this uh, next time before the podcast so that we can announce it so people can be excited about it. But um, we'll talk about it and figure this out. And uh, yeah, this is a new show. We're figuring out the, how it's going to work. Um, so it'll be a process, but I'm very excited. Sweet, man. Me too. Strategy games could be fun. Yeah, they could be. And uh, and you know what? They will be. They will be fun. Sometimes they even are. I, I've, I've been told. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Brett. And uh, I'll talk to you. I guess we're going to shoot for like a, an episode each month or so, right? Sweet. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Look forward to it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this show, please consider becoming a patron on patreon.com slash Keith Bergun.